So we're working our way through Mark's gospel at the moment, and we're at this point where Jesus is really walking headlong towards the cross. We're getting to the climax of the whole book, the whole story of Jesus' life. And we've just had the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus resolutely said to the Father, I am going, I am going to obey you, I'm going to go to the cross. And now we pick it up where he begins that walk. So Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 43. In fact, I'm going to start at verse 42. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him astray under guard. Going at once to Judas, to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Sometimes I feel like the human race is brilliant. Like, we're just, we're genius at inventing incredible things and new inventions that are going to help people and that kind of thing. We're, we're capable of so much kindness and goodness that sometimes it just floors me. Um, you know, in the, in, in the Metro paper, sometimes you get those little sections where it describes like random acts of kindness. So people write in or text in and say, thanks to that really nice looking guy who picked up my bag the other day at Borough Tube Station. And it's like all these nice things that people do. And it's this sense of we can be really good to each other as humans. But then as I'm feeling kind of chipper about humans, we, we also then just turn around and... We're capable of so much darkness. It's kind of like Jekyll and Hyde, that the monster appears of humanity. And that can be really dark. We're, we're capable as humans of serious evil. We're capable of treating each other in awful ways. So we experience humanity capable of so much good, and then we spin around and are capable of such lows. Now in these verses, Jesus suffers the worst humanity has to throw at him. There it is. Jesus suffered the worst that humanity has to throw at him. So he meets in these verses, Mr. Hyde, as it were, the monster that we can be. Now, these are dark verses that we're coming to. And, and right leading up to the cross, it's, it's dark. It's serious what's going on. But I want us to see this afternoon, and, and we will see it, there is, there is serious good news. As Jesus goes through this darkness of humanity... That means some really significant things for what's about to happen in the cross. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. Now, the betrayal of Jesus has been casting a dark shadow across this entire chapter. The teachers of the law who have, have been kind of gradually growing in their hate of Jesus throughout the whole story have, have determined they are going to kill Jesus. They're going to find a way. And then Judas, who's one of the twelve, the inner circle, well, you, you see what he does. Um, just look back to verse 10 on the, on the page before. 
Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas went to them. Then when Jesus was eating that meal of fellowship, the, the, the bread and the wine, the Passover, he said with the 12, verse 18, if you remember, while they were reclining at the table, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. They were saddened and they, one by one they said, surely you don't mean me. And he said, it is one of the 12. It's one of the 12. And then we got to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, like I said, resolutely submits to his father's plan. He's going to walk to the cross. There's no more deliberation. He's going. And so we get that kind of action kicking off in verse 42. It's slowed down. But here we go. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And before the words have even left his mouth, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with this small army. And um, Mark keeps talking about Judas as one of the twelve. Do you notice that? It's always like, oh, he's one of the twelve. He's one of the twelve. It's like, okay, Mark, we get it. He's one of the twelve. Why does he keep saying that? The twelve, like I said, were Jesus' chosen disciples. There, there were many more disciples. We often think, oh, it's Jesus and the twelve. But there were loads of people who followed Jesus around, who were dedicated to him. But these guys were different. Jesus had looked each one of them in the eye and called them by name to follow him, to love him, and to learn from him. Judas, one of the twelve, appeared to betray him. Picture your closest friend. Have him in your mind's eye or her. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer and your friend appears. Back in chapter 3, Mark records when Jesus chose the twelve. And this is how Mark put it. Jesus called to him those he wanted. That included Judas. Picture the conversation, Judas. Judas, look at me. I want you to be one of my disciples. And now this night, Jesus looks at Judas again and sees the eyes of betrayal coming towards him. And he sees this crowd, an armed crowd, sent by the leaders of the Jews who were hell-bent on killing Jesus. And then Mark gives um, Judas this little title in verse 44. The betrayer had had arrived. The betrayer, I mean, ouch, what a title. But isn't it justified by what happens? This was no crime of passion. This wasn't Judas suddenly getting angry and turning on Judas, on Jesus. He, he had arranged, prearranged this signal with the Jewish leaders. The signal was the famous kiss. Why do you think he did that? Why arrange this signal of a kiss? Strange. I'm fascinated by little details like this. Why did that happen? I mean, why does he need a signal in the first place? You know, Judas isn't being covert, is he? He's turned up with this bunch of guys with clubs and swords. Jesus says, well, this is my betrayer coming. So it's not like Judas is doing the signal so that he can kind of remain anonymous as a betrayer, kind of, this one. But you know, I'm not the betrayer, it wasn't me. He's pretty obvious about it, so he's not trying to hide it. And Jesus is pretty famous by now. Okay, he's been doing a lot of things. And he, he says to them later, well, you saw me in the temple courts. And so it's not like this group are going to, which one of the bearded guys is Jesus? You know, they know who Jesus is. It's odd having a signal. It's even more odd having a kiss as a signal. That's not a normal signal for things. And this isn't a kind of little kind of Italian kiss thing. This is a passionate brotherly embrace. 
Why this signal? Because it will hurt Jesus more. That's why he has the kiss. It will hurt Jesus more. Because a kiss is a sign of love. The call of rabbi is the familiar call of a disciple to the master. See, this isn't straight-laced opposition. This is betrayal. A punch in the face, right? It's painful, but it's kind of straightforward. You know, you know where you stand. You're my enemy. You punch me in the face. That's obvious. But betrayal pretends to be the best of humanity while actually being the worst. It fakes love while delivering death. It kisses while driving in the knife. See, it's one thing to attack someone. It's another kind of low of humanity to betray. All that love and trust is a smokescreen for intended harm. I mean, is betrayal one of the worst things that we're capable of as humans? See, when Judas betrayed his Lord, Jesus suffered the worst we had to throw at him. And I know that many of us will feel that. We read this story, and this will bring up a lot of emotions and memories of times when we've been betrayed. I remember once when uh, my, my dad went through this with a close family member. You know, he's been through a lot of stuff, and people have done horrible things to him, all sorts of ways, but in the kind of straightforward kind of way. But I remember him saying to me, this really hurts like nothing else. The betrayal of someone close to him. It was rock bottom human experience for him. And betrayal is something many of us will have tasted and it's something Jesus tasted. He suffered the worst of human experience on his road to the cross. The worst we had to throw at him. Now the betrayal though is actually the only beginning of this suffering road to the cross. It's the beginning of his sufferings. Next, Jesus faces injustice in the story. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of legal dramas. Um, I was chatting with someone about this the other day. I like Good Wife and all the kind of things like that. Anyway, I think they're brilliant. I, I think it's partly because I like the idea of being in a courtroom and being able to stand up and shout objection to everything. I don't know if that's realistic, whether that actually happens in court. No? Okay, thank you, court clerk has told me. It doesn't happen. Anyway, but what I also like is, in the end, the good guys always win. So the, the, the tension of the drama is the wrong person's on the stand or the wrong person's about to get put away. But in the end, they figure it out and they put away the right person. And it feels so good because justice is served. And injustice is so bad. And actually, I was thinking about it. We've got betrayal and injustice next to each other in the garden here. And actually, they're very similar. They both have the veneer of doing something good and right and loving. But the dark reality is that there's ugliness and lies underneath. See, the kiss on the cheek is actually the stab in the back. And an unjust conviction, well, it looks like justice is being done. A criminal is being arrested. But actually, underneath is lies and an agenda. Betrayal and injustice lie. See, I'm proudest of humanity when our sense of justice shines through. There's that sense of relief when justice is served. I mean, the, the whole kind of Hillsborough disaster and, and the decades and decades of fighting for justice, of uncovering corruption, and finally bringing to justice those people who, who, who were responsible. This, there was such an outpouring of relief when that finally happened. Justice is the best that humanity has to offer, but injustice is the worst. And Jesus is walking headlong into injustice. 
Now, in verse 47, um, one of the disciples gets a bit jittery. Well, it's one of those standing nearby. I'm, I'm assuming it's one of the disciples. Draws his sword and cuts off an ear of one of the armed crowd. You can see him. He's basically fighting injustice. You don't touch my Jesus. I'm going to get you. Who doesn't fight back? Jesus. Now, don't think for a moment he wasn't capable of fighting back. Now, as Jesus is arrested, he shows the injustice of what's happening with this little speech he gives. Look at verse 48. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scripture must be fulfilled. Why are you treating me like this, he's saying, as, as if I'm some kind of dangerous criminal? Coming to arrest me says I'm guilty of something. Coming to arrest me with swords and clubs says I'm guilty and dangerous. But you know me. I've, I've been in the courts. I've been completely transparent and public in all of my ministry. I've, I've been teaching. And you, you never arrested me then, so why now? It's a, it's a bizarre, it's an out-of-proportion scene, Jesus being arrested in this way. Um, imagine this security door over here is alarmed. It's not, by the way. Don't go through it. Anyway, but it's not alarmed. But imagine it was, okay? And a, a little child a little child went up to it and, and pushed the door open. Woo, woo, woo! Off goes the alarm. It's crazy. And someone across the, across the road sees this happen, calls it in, calls the police, and in record time they respond. They send three armed response units. They kind of climb onto the ceiling, abseil down, kick through the windows, come in, surround the little child, guns out, get down, get down, get down! Arrest, arrest this child and takes them away. What a ridiculous scene. Completely out of proportion, completely unjust. Jesus is in this garden as innocent as innocent gets, with nothing to hide. And in comes this group with swords and clubs to bind him and take him away. Injustice like betrayal is one of the worst traits of humanity. And beginning here and stretching towards the cross, Jesus suffers this mockery of a trial. It's like, we're going to see over the next few weeks, it's like a five-part legal drama. Episode after episode, but this time, the innocent party is going to get put away. He's going to be crucified. You know, there's no public inquiry. There's no court of appeal. Jesus is served in justice. I mean, would it be too much to say that The greatest injustice the world has ever known was the innocent son of God being condemned by people he made. Jesus is facing us at our worst. Betrayal, injustice, and to cap it all off, look at what happens in verse 50. It's a tiny little verse, but do you feel it? Verse 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus had said, didn't he, when the the shepherds struck, the sheep are going to scatter? happens right here and then we get this young man okay wearing nothing but a linen garment was following jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind and at first you're like oh he's kind of naked and running away and it's kind of weird but actually it's really shameful think about it he was so committed to deserting jesus he would rather run away naked than have been arrested and taken along with him that's how committed he was to leaving jesus he suffered Jesus suffered the worst we had to throw at him. Betrayal, injustice, abandonment. 
Okay, that's the scene. That's what's happening. Now, the question I've been wrestling with this week, which I want to ask with you, is why? Why does Jesus go through all this suffering on his way to the cross? Why does he walk there being pelted by the worst that humanity has to throw at him? Some of you have been really helpful this week talking this through with me, trying to figure it out. See, if I know my destination to somewhere, I will find the easiest route. Having a child and a buggy in London and getting around on the underground, you have to calculate very carefully where you're going. Okay? So there's numbers of steps, there's lifts, there's escalators, there's all that kind of thing. And I will always, obviously, choose the trip that is going to involve the least amount of stairs and the least amount of changes and that kind of thing. So if I was Jesus, I'd say, right, okay, uh, Gethsemane's happened. I said I'm going to go to the cross. That's where I need to go to die, give my life as a ransom for many. Can we just, can we just get to that now? You know, I'll, I'll hand myself in. No need for the betrayal. It's me, Jesus, arrest me. You've been wanting to arrest me. No need for betrayal, nastiness. And um, let's, let's just skip this whole court thing. I'll say something which you can interpret really easily to indict me, and we'll just skip straight to this. Let's get to the cross, shall we? But instead, what we have is Jesus embraces the worst that humanity has to throw at him. Rise, here comes my betrayer. I'd say, he's here. Let's get out of here. In verse 50, when everyone deserts him and flees, if I was Jesus, I'd go, wait, guys, I'm coming too. I'm the son of God. I, I can get to the cross whatever way I want. Think about that. He could have chosen any route to the cross. He's Jesus. But he's determined. And he keeps talking about fulfilling scripture. You see that in verse 49, that scripture must be fulfilled. It's like he's got this sense of, of destiny. The Old Testament scripture says, I must do this. God's rescuer must suffer. There are places like Isaiah chapter 53, which lays this out. This, this rescuer is going to suffer and suffer and suffer. And Jesus seems determined to go along this path. So why? Why did Jesus have to suffer the worst we had to throw at him? What does, that, what does that add to Jesus' rescue of us? I think there are lots of answers, but we're going to think about one. Jesus suffered the worst we had to throw at him. Why? To be one of us. So we're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about it. He went through this so he could truly be one of us. So he said, the cross is the goal. But what I'm trying to say is the road of suffering that leads to the cross really matters. In fact, it matters so much that without the road of suffering first, the cross wouldn't work. The cross wouldn't work. When I bought um, our TV, it came in the box. I was very excited. I'd been asking Vicky for a long time if we could buy a new TV. And we bought a new TV. And I got it out and I screwed on the legs and I plugged it in. The light was on and I put batteries in the remote because that's always the thing you forget to do. And you're like, it's not working. Anyway, put the batteries in, pressed it, wasn't working. Didn't turn. Yes, that's how I felt. Didn't turn on. Very disappointing. But the customer service was very helpful. The cross without the suffering before it would be like getting to the cross, unwrapping it, plugging it in and nothing. No salvation. doesn't work. Because for the cross to work, Jesus had to truly be one of us. And to be one of us, he had to suffer first. We're going to unpack that now. What do I mean by he had to be one of us? 
we need to think first about the goal, the cross. What, what's going to happen on the cross? Jesus will die, or did die, as our substitute. That's really important for this, as our substitute in our place. Jesus' mission is somehow to make a way for you and I to have a relationship with God. We can't have a relationship with God because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, because we don't love him as we should. And that is a problem. And because God loves justice, he has to punish us. And so Jesus' mission is to be punished in our place as our substitute. The Father gives the Son to kind of swap us out of this punishment. So that death and hell will fall on Jesus instead of you and me. So do you see, Jesus at the cross is going to represent us, die instead of us, be our substitute. That's the goal. That's, that's where the cross is going, right? So for Jesus to be our substitute on the cross, he had to be truly, fully, totally one of us to, to truly represent us, including Suffering like us. By suffering, he became one of us. And as one of us, he could die instead of us. Let me say that again. By suffering like this, Jesus became truly one of us. And as one of us, he could go to the cross and die instead of us. Like for like substitute. So, when um, Johnny Miller... He likes his rugby, okay? Don't know where you are, Johnny, but you are here, so this is going to work. Um, when Johnny Miller, maybe one day there's a little Johnny Jr. And he takes Johnny Jr. to his school rugby match, and he's playing. But little Johnny Jr. gets injured. And Johnny Sr., loving rugby, is like, sub me on, I want to go on. And so Johnny Sr. wants to go on, and he's going to crush those kids. It's totally unfair, okay? <laughs> Don't do it. It's not a like for like, it's, it's not a fair, it's not a legitimate substitute. He, it doesn't count. He can't be Johnny Jr. The cross without the suffering before it would be like, hang on, bash back, go back. For the powerful son of God to actually die instead of you and me, he has to actually be like you and me in every way. A fair substitute, except without sin. Now, that's why I couldn't just die for you, okay? Like, well, why can't I just die for your sins? I can't because I'm not without sin. I need someone to pay for my sins, so I can't do it. I'm flawed. Now, this is where Jesus is perfect to save us, okay? Because he's fully, we thought about this last week, he's fully God, which means he's capable of being perfect. And he's, as we're seeing, truly fully man, so it's a fair swap. It's a legitimate substitute on the cross. So coming back to our scene on the garden, in the garden, it meant Jesus had to suffer the worst human experience. He had to face the worst we had to throw at him. Betrayal, injustice, desertion. Next it's going to be beatings. It's going to be mockings. It's going to be the crown of thorns. He couldn't just dodge that and run away, departing from the plan. In order for the cross to work, the road to the cross had to be filled with the depths of human experience. This is the way that Hebrews 2 describes this. This is a bit of a paraphrase. I'm not making all this up. This is, this is from the Bible. It says this. It was fitting that God should make our Savior, Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Let me say that again. 
it was fitting that God, it was, it, it was the right thing for God to do to make our Savior perfect through what he suffered, like in the garden. By suffering, Jesus was made the perfect human being. He was already morally perfect. This isn't like Jesus was bad and then he became good. No, it's not about that. It's about Jesus fully living the full human life perfectly through suffering. In suffering, he became the perfect you. Don't you long for there to be a perfect you? He became the perfect me. He suffered the full depths of human pain, betrayal, injustice, and he didn't sin. So think about your life and whatever pain and betrayal, whatever injustice you felt, Jesus embraced that in his humanity. He was made perfect through his suffering. Okay, let me try and explain this some more. Imagine we had a drawing of Jesus. and We started at the beginning of his life and we drew the outline of a human. Okay, and it's fully human, true, perfect in every way. But as, as he went through his life, the true and full experience of humanity gets kind of colored in, in our picture. You know, so we have his childhood, we have him learning to walk, learning to talk. We have adulthood, we have where he's tempted to sin, but he doesn't. He, we see him feeling the full range of emotions and we color that in. We see him go through the garden, we see him go through the worst we have to throw at him. And so by the time Jesus reaches the cross, you stand back and you look at this picture of this man and you see him fully colored in, fully detailed as a human in every single way, a human. Now he's ready to go to the cross and be our substitute. Now he's fit to give his fully human, fully suffering, fully perfect life as a ransom for our fully human, fully suffering, but sinful lives. Do you see now why he couldn't just skip all this and go straight to the cross? This makes Jesus perfect for the cross, fit for the cross, ready for it. Now he's fully one of you and me, but better than us. Now he can be our perfect substitute. So I don't know how you feel about Jesus when you read this story. Maybe you just feel kind of sorry for him, being betrayed, suffering injustice. Maybe you think it's pretty admirable. He's noble. You might want to feel those things. But I want, I want us to feel something more. Do something bigger. Trust him. You found the savior you were looking for. He's like me. He knows my pain. He's experienced the muck of this earth. You know what? But when I'm a victim, I lash out in anger. He doesn't. When I get betrayed, I calculate how I'm going to get back at them. He doesn't. When God takes me through tough times or sin is tempting me, I take the easiest route. Jesus doesn't. He follows the Father to the bitter end. See, he's everything I should be, but I'm, but I'm not. And here's the thing I really want us to learn tonight. He's everything we need a saviour to be. He is everything we need a saviour to be. We found someone who is like us, but better than us. We found someone who suffers like us, but doesn't sin like us. We found someone to be our fully human substitute. We found someone who can save us completely. And you know when you find someone who can do that, what do you do? You pin all your hope on him. 
Which means when you walk through those dark times in your life, and perhaps that's you right now. In fact, you would probably say you're facing the worst humanity has to throw at you. Maybe even injustice and betrayal. Look at Jesus. He fully went there too. Do you know anyone else like that who fully experienced everything you experienced? And when we look at at our screwed up humanity, when we look at the corruption in our own hearts, to the core, Jesus was made the perfect human instead of us. To die instead of us and to rise and bring us with him. So whatever we need Jesus to be as our saviour, he is at full volume, to the max, that. He is what we need him to be. So trust him, embrace him as the only way to be forgiven. And I want to say really clearly tonight, if you don't have Christ as your substitute, when, when you deserve to face the wrath of God, then you face that wrath yourself. If Jesus isn't dying in your place, then, then we still face that ourselves. But here's the seriousest good news of this afternoon. You don't have to face that. Here is this perfect human being who can take that for you. The sufferer, Jesus. So will you trust him today? As your substitute, as your saviour? I've been trying to find a word that will convey just how perfect a saviour Jesus is. In, in all that we've been talking about. And I couldn't find a word, so I've got a few. <laughs> and I want to finish with this. I just invite you to, to bow your heads and to, to, to pray and um, set your, your mind on Jesus and think about him in the garden heading towards the cross. And I'm just going to kind of sum up everything we've said. And I just want you to invite you to trust him now and to worship him. Jesus' ability to be our saviour is total. His ability to sympathise with us in suffering is unrivaled. His humanity is spotless and genuine. His fitness to be our substitute is unique. His determination to suffer is humbling. His obedience to his father is unflinching. His love for us is magnificent. Amen. We're going to sing in response to what we've seen. um, A song that speaks of the journey that Jesus made from the glories of heaven to the, the pit of human experience for us to save us. He's worthy of our worship, and so let's stand and sing and worship him.